Today's guest on 26.1 AI podcast is Jim Nee. Jim Nee is an alum of the formidable CS program at UIUC. Early on in his career, a boss at Et5 realized that Jim possessed the requisite characteristics to succeed as a product leader. Since then, he's been building and growing products across many different companies, including many successful startups. Besides early days of F5, Jim was crucial to the success of Rendition Networks that was successfully sold to another UIUC alum, Mark Andreessen, and his company, Opsware. Most recently, Jim helped office creator Charles Simony successfully sell intentional software to Microsoft. Now Jim is back at it again with a promising startup, leading product at Clarify, a startup applying computer vision AI for a number of different industries. Welcome, Jim. And the three of us had the opportunity, I don't know how many years ago it was, to sit and have uh, a meal together in Seattle, and I loved our conversation. Uh, Welcome to our podcast, Jim. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Your background is amazing, you know, and it sounds like you've been around technology for quite a while. And I, I even see it going back to Accenture days in the 80s. Uh, and, you know, I have some connections in the consulting world, too. Can you just give us a little bit of how you got to where you're at in your own words, you know, in a couple sentences real quick? And, you know, what interesting uh, sequence of events led you to be in front of us today? Certainly. So it, uh, it was the, the, the mentor of mine that was at F5. I think it's, uh, it's interesting that Don mentioned him. I can't really tell whether he uh, was moving me into product management because I was a poor developer <laughs> or whether it was because I was able to, to relate better with the customers, right? Just, and I think a lot of that stemmed from my, my Accenture experiences. Um, I think, Brian, you, you probably, having spent some time at Deloitte, know kind of that consulting methodology, right? I mean, not only that, but I mean, that's been like the crux of, that's been a big topic area of this podcast is how do you translate technology to people, you know, and how do you have that conversation? I think I learned how to facilitate that conversation there as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super critical, right? There's so many technologies that I've seen where, they really don't do a great job of marrying what the customer is looking for. And even, even some of the things that are hidden, right? The, the, the subconscious desires and needs of an organization or an individual and the problems that are unmet. And I think it, a lot of times it's, it's really key to just continue probing, asking the right questions, reading between the lines of the answers that they're providing to try to figure out hey, what is this latent pain point that we're trying to solve? Uh, Because in most cases, a lot of the patients can only say, hey, you know what, it hurts here. And you try to address that problem when in in actuality, it's some other problem, you know, closer to whatever, you know, that nerve or or what have you. And so I think it's the the role of, of technologists, not just to build the products themselves, but to really understand the pain points and the successful companies and people will be the ones that can marry both of them together. So do you have three or five questions you generally ask every customer? You know, I, I really don't. I, a lot of it 
goes into first doing the research, right? So coming into the banking space, I've never done anything in the banking space at all. So I don't know the regulations that they deal with, the compliance issues that they deal with, um, or anything like that. But I think what it what has helped me is really going on the internet, trying to figure out what are some of the pain points, and then start to internalize it myself. Right? I'm not I'm not great at doing consumer focused products. But when you start thinking about enterprise focused products um, and how they relate to you, then then that's where I can I can help a little bit. So I'll give you I'll give you a great example, right? For the financial services space, I started asking myself, um, and I've got, you know, I work, I bank at one of the largest banks in the world. Um, and yet I I constantly think about, boy, how would Amazon, Google, or Facebook deal with this opportunity, right? And some of the opportunities come up that, hey, look, I've got kids. Um, maybe they're not tied to my bank or my account specifically, but certainly from a banking perspective, I can extrapolate the data, do some you know, data sciences and find out or figure out that, hey, these five people all have the same last name and all live in the same address. And oh, by the way, because I have the birth dates, oh, these are clearly children. Um, and as they turn 18, why am I not offering Jim and his family uh, co-signed credit cards, right? So instead, what happens is my wife and I go out and we look for credit cards that, that the kids can apply for and, and get, and they end up not being at my bank. So there's a lost opportunity at that bank. And not, is it, not only is it just a lost opportunity at that bank, but it's also a little bit of a time uh, and an F waste of time and effort from me and my wife to try to get these, you know, credit cards for my kids. So it's, it's the little things like that with, where I think if Amazon were running that bank, it would have been solved, right? It would have been a month before their 18th birthdays. Um, I would have been able to just click a link to say, yeah, sign me up right here for a, a co-signed credit card for my kid. And is that is that bleed into like the real time segment of one um, type and analytics that you're doing now? Yeah, it 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 absolutely does. Um, you think you think about, and this is why this is really fascinating space um, as I've as I've discovered for myself is that if you think about the amount of data that's being collected by all of our financial institutions, right? They know my salary. They know how I'm, how much I'm spending a month, where I'm spending it, when I'm spending it. Um, so there's this, this information, if you think about it outside of healthcare is probably the second most critical information to, to me and my family. Right. Well, these banks are actually selling that information as well, right. To much more technologically adept and customer focused orgs interested in addressing some of the use cases you're bringing up. Right, right. But there are some some regulatory issues around selling some of that information, right, um, that uh, prohibit all of it. But I think for, for us, the way we're thinking about it is how do we help these banks leverage that information, right? How do, how do we turn each one of those banks into a, a mini um, Google or Amazon or Microsoft so that they can do better customer service? Right. When I walk into a bank, maybe there's some facial recognition that happens and it says, OK, here's Jim's account. It gets pulled up as I walk up to the to the teller. They can offer me a bunch of new services that I may not have known about. 
Maybe it's wealth management, maybe it's IRAs, maybe it's even a 529 plan for my kid, right? And these are things that, that currently just don't happen when you go on to your mobile banking application, right? Or walk into a branch, et cetera. And that's why a lot of banks are starting to lose customers to these neobanks. They're losing customers to, um, you know, to, to all sorts of new financial services opportunities that are coming from, uh, ironically, the Amazons and the, and the PayPals, et cetera. So it's, it's an opportunity there for the banks to do much better customer service and not, not just leveraging us for more fees and revenue, but really to help us out. Because in, in doing so, um, and the fees may go down a little bit, but in doing so, they're going to get a really, really happy customer. And as we're seeing from all of these technology companies, when you have a happy customer, you have someone who's basically going to stay with you for a much longer part of their lives. So your practice is about, uh, largely, it sounds like it's about, you know, identifying using artificial intelligence, the customer better and to understand them better. Um, but you also are up against this compliance wall, I believe, on occasions with, you know, sharing that data and how that's handled. But you also handle things like fraud, too. So how do the good guys versus bad guys play out in the AI scene for you? Um, I think for us, when we look at the data, right, if, if we look at the data objectively, you can you can find both the customer benefits as well as risk mitigation. Right. So going through just the volumes of data that's going through a bank every day, we can start to identify those patterns of fraud. We can identify patterns where it's money laundering. Um, at the same time that we're doing all of that customer service um, um, analysis that we were talking about before. So looking at the data, it's really a matter of just what are the right scenarios we want to run? What, what are the patterns that are being surfaced? through our algorithms. And so there's a lot of both sides of that risk mitigation, as well as um, customer service that, that can be found in that data. And we're not necessarily saying that that should be shared. We're actually promoting to these banks of all sizes that, that they really need to build a wall around their data, right? They, there's certainly opportunities for them to, to work um, with the Zells and the PayPal's and the, you know, uh, Kasasas of the world to bring in new uh, fintech opportunities to their customers to make them happier. But at the same time, why aren't they going through all of their data and understanding what their customers are looking for, right? Who are their customers? If you're, if you're a bank in uh, Yakima, then, you know, you could probably figure out what, what type of customers they have, right? It's, it's probably wine growers, farmers, ag uh, workers, et cetera. Um, but if you're in the middle of Seattle and you're a small community bank, who's that customer, right? Is it someone who works at Amazon? Is it someone who works at Expedia or F5? Or is it someone who works at the city of Seattle? Who is that? And, and what does that customer really want out of their banking experience? We um, touch on culture a lot. And then for banks, how much is culture an issue for you and interacting with them. For example, banks famously run on incredibly old hardware. There are many banks still using AS400 mini computers. Um, a lot of the payment systems rely on um, 40 or 50 year old tandem uh, fault tolerant 
computers, for example. Um, what, what are those kind of issues in terms of culture of trying to get these folks who are financially minded, but technologically not as motivated? And to add on to that question, you know, how does the cloud play into that role? And I know you've had a role in the cloud before as well in Microsoft. Think about it this way, right? If, if you're a bank in Washington State uh, and you're headquartered in the, in the Seattle area, et cetera, how are you going to find the talent to be able to help yourself? Right. All of the, the AI machine learning specialists, all the data analytics people, they're probably going to go to, to the tech firms. So these these smaller banks really have um, a disadvantage when it comes to how do I find the right individuals that will be able to move the banks into the you know, 21st, 22nd century uh, with newer, newer technologies like cloud, like artificial intelligence and machine learning. In terms of embracing the cloud, I, I think there is a desire to embrace the cloud. In fact, you know, there's quite a few customers I've talked to that 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 might not understand what the cloud is. And I'll give you uh, an interesting example. Um, there's a couple customers that we've we've talked to and we're working with uh, pretty deeply, and. You know, when we bring up the, hey, we've got this cloud service that, that you can leverage uh, for, you know, for fraud detection. What they'll say is, well, we, we like it to be on premise. Like, okay, why is that? Well, we've got access to our core banking system and this and that. Well, as it turns out, the core banking system is, is basically a service bureau, right? In the, in the old way of thinking, it's, it's a service bureau. But in reality, it's, it's basically a hosted software solution that's sitting on the network, right? In someone else's data center. So you're like, well, you, you know, in, in actuality, that's that's kind of the cloud. Oh, yeah, but you know, we've got direct access to it and this and that. I'm like, yeah, but you know, what you're describing is basically a software that's sitting in the cloud. There's a lot of education that has to happen in the financial services space to help the CIOs, CTOs, even the CEOs understand what the 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 next wave of technologies uh is offering them right so where does that jim where does that come from where does that education come from does it come from you know firms like yours and mine does it come from data scientists does it come from business school i mean like who's going to teach the fintech world about cloud in a way that they can understand and grasp and also feel safe enough with to invest in and to move forward with it is it is all of all of the above um i think that the in in order i would say it's the technologists themselves right as they get into the financial services sector working at the banks or maybe even some of the fintech companies just try to start sharing these ideas and concepts more broadly um, that's certainly right. The, the word of mouth, the hearing from your peers, et cetera, is always, always a, a very influential and very trusted um, news source, right? So I, I think that's the first. I think the second is really, um, it's it's probably going to be more and more education by the the technology providers themselves. Right. If, if you, you know, we, we probably all, all three of us probably see this problem a lot. Right. The technology providers, whether it's Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, even the, the next round of startups, 
they're really tackling like really complex, interesting problems. But there's a whole host of industries, construction, hospitality, financial services, et cetera, where they might not be the beneficiaries of that quite yet, right? There's just going to be this long tail trickle down effect where um, their CTOs start to say, oh, hey, we, we ought to jump on the wagon and start to do these types of things because um, they just aren't out at the forefront. They're, they're battling some of the things that Don talked about, right? They're, they're battling their tandem systems. They're battling their AS400 systems and trying to figure out, hey, how do I take, you know, these, these old, old programs and this incredible amount of data that's locked into some database somewhere, how do I leverage it? Right. And, and it's, it's a tough challenge for them because they, they do have legacy systems, volumes of data. They can't get the resources, the people to, to help them. They can't find them. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit of a, of a opportunity for the, for the technology industry as well to really start getting more aggressive in some of these less um, sexy industries. Uh, so I think that's that's a, a great opportunity as well for for better education to take place. And, I, you know, the, another one of my pet peeves is in, even in healthcare, Right. Touch upon it earlier. Healthcare is like one of the last places where, where we're seeing really great I.T. technologies be being applied. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe that's the next big thing that we'll focus on. Right. Well, let's flip, let's flip the conversation a bit and and look at it through the eyes. And you've been around technology for quite a while, Jim. Let's look through the eyes of the candidates out there. You know, they're studying computer science. They've done a lot of machine learning on data sets that are, you know, they can even apply deep learning to. I find oftentimes they're disenchanted when they get into a role, you know, and I've spoke on that uh, topic to universities myself. What are you? What's your feeling that they should expect when they try to get into fintech uh, from a degree program? You know, what are your what are your thoughts of what they see it to be, and what is the reality of that? The opportunities exist, right? And you you could even think about it that there's some outsized impact that you can make at some of these smaller organizations or non traditionally technical organizations. Right. You go into a Microsoft or a Google and, you know, that's a, a great career path, et cetera. But you're going to be working on a project at least for the, the first couple of years because you're, you're new. You know, you don't have you don't have a whole lot of uh, commercial programming experience. And then you're going to slowly move on to, to bigger and bigger roles and bigger and bigger projects. You step into some of these um, financial institutions you really can make some significant changes. Uh, so it's, it's, it is a good opportunity um, for the right individual if that's what, you know, if that's what you're looking for. Um, if you're looking for, hey, I want to work in, in startup world and the big tech space, what have you, then, and a lot of the kids these days want to do that, well, then they're going to go to the Facebooks and Amazons and Microsofts of the world. Well, let's talk about Facebook and fintech. Libra is a topic that's in discussion currently. Um, it almost gets as much attention as other news in Washington. Um, and going along the vein of what you're describing, Jim, Morgan Beller, one of the creators of Libra, is a 26-year-old um, who's got a great track record. Um, 
and seems like she was successful in going through that process of lobbying Mark Zuckerberg himself to get this going. Now they're they're facing some challenges, the regulatory issues that both you and Brian have brought up. I think the the Libra is going to be uh, the the latest news that I've seen is is there are a couple of their partners are are pulling back a little bit. Is that is that correct? It seemed like uh, everybody got off the ship. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for someone like like Facebook, it's an interesting project. It was really interesting what they're trying to 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 tackle with that and the problems that they're trying to solve. I just, I think this is a lot of timing. I think the timing was really uh, unfortunate for that team because of where, because of the scrutiny that Facebook is getting these days. Um, mm. and it, it, around the, the, the data privacy issues, uh, the sharing of the data, uh, et cetera. So I think they've lost a lot of whatever little trust they did have is pretty much out the window now. Now that doesn't say anything about the consumer who still loves going on to Facebook and spends gobs of time on it. But when you start to think about financial transactions, what I'm doing, et cetera. I, I think it's becoming harder and harder to trust someone like Facebook with, with my data. Uh, well, what is, what is your general precautionary thoughts on AI and machine learning right now? I mean, there's, uh, this is probably your last question too, but like, you know, you said a lot of good there and I appreciate the good. And I think there's tons of good to be done in this space. I, I see a lot of opportunity, but what's a couple of the precautionary things where it doesn't go well? Yeah, I'll, I'll stick to the financial services because I think there's a lot of um, opportunities to use AI machine learning in, in the wrong ways, right? Um Look, I, I think we've all seen reports out there about how how poorly uh, financially literate we all are. And think about a bank who's thinking about, well, I've got um, I've got lowering interest rates, which is causing all kinds of issues within the bank in terms of um, you know because they they the, the banks are basically making money on the spread between the interest rates, right? And the second source of income is fees, right? You're paying a checking fee, a credit card fee, uh, overdraft fees, all of these things. Now think about if a bank really starts getting desperate and, and tries to leverage AI in the wrong ways, right? Meaning I want to increase fees from each customer. Well, that's, not necessarily the, the right thing to do, right? Because I can, we, we've seen how manipulable people are, right? How gullible they are to the right sorts of um, cues that that technology can provide. So if, if, if I really think about a bank that is so focused on improving shareholder value, and one of the ways to do that is generating additional fees, because there's little they can do around the interest mar interest margin, um, they could potentially leverage AI machine learning to to do that. Uh, I'm hope I'm hoping though that they take a page out of the you know the Costco's and the the Nordstroms and the Amazons of the world and say you know what if I have a super happy customer they're going to be long term and 
Whereas I might lose fees because I may, may say, hey, you know what, we should offer this service to, to Brian because he hasn't written a check in, in two months. So why is he paying $60 a year for this checking account? I'm going to lose that $60 uh, a year for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future. But man, I, I just made Brian a, a really happy customer. And over the long haul, he's going to continue to, to bank with us. And so the good guys. The good guys win in the end is basically the story you're telling me. Yeah, That's yeah. Well, look, I think the, the good guys will win in the the end long term. Right. Yeah. But I think the bad guys always figure out how to manipulate the data in 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 nefarious ways to jack up their 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 value. Right. Yeah. Now this has been this has been really fun. I, I, I we're, we want to keep it within twenty six point one minutes because of the average commute time. That's what that's based on. <laughs> so, what are, any uh, leave behinds about you know kind of what you're doing now, or you know how to contact you, or uh, you know what you might want the audience to to know? Yeah, I, I think there's I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. If you're a data scientist, if you're uh, a programmer, um, to focus on some of the for forgotten industries, right? Um, healthcare, financial services, uh, construction, hospitality, all of those. That, that may not seem as sexy right now, but boy, if you, if you think about the opportunities you can have there, it, there, there really are potential for you to have a big impact that's a wrap thank you for joining us on ai podcast you can reach us at ai-podcast.com or find us on spotify or itunes thank you again and we'll see you soon